Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. UX Cake is all about developing the layers you need to be more effective in your work and to be happy and fulfilled in your career. I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo, and I'm a UX leader and leadership coach. Hi, friends, and thank you so much for joining me on UX Cake today. Today, we are going to be talking about systems thinking for designers, and I have Cheryl Kababa with me today, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Substantial and the author of Closing the Loop Systems Thinking for Designers, which was just published by Rosenfeld Media like last month, I think. (laughs) Cheryl is a seasoned design and strategy leader. That's how I introduce myself, so I hope you don't mind. You're seasoned, who has worked, oh goodness, worked with so many companies, but in particular, Frog and Adaptive Path and Microsoft, which is how we originally met. She speaks at conferences around the world, and she happens to also be a previous guest on UX Cake and an old friend of mine as well. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you so much. And yes, seasoned is a fine description. (laughs) Spicy, spicy is maybe a good description. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right. Next time I will introduce you as the spicy UX (laughs) design leader. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Now it sounds worse somehow. (laughs) (laughs) This is, we're just like, this is our test grounds here. (laughs) Yeah. So Cheryl, I have a, I have a funny story. I didn't tell you this. I have a funny story that came up recently about you while you are in it and it involves cake. So I wanted to share it. (laughs) I don't know if you know the story I'm about to tell. I have my suspicions, but (laughs) (laughs) it came up recently because (laughs) my, my oldest just turned 21 and he, he had a birthday last month and this story came up when, and we got together Uh, for his 21st birthday celebration. (laughs) She's already laughing because you, Cheryl, inadvertently, it was not on purpose at all, inadvertently gave my son the, his first solid food when he was a baby, (laughs) (laughs) which happened to be cake. (laughs) I, oh my gosh, I remember this because I was honestly so horrified. I was like, (laughs) What do you mean he hasn't eaten food? Yet? I thought it was just given he'd already been eating food and whatever. And well, he was oh chunky enough. <laughs> he probably looked like it. It's adorable, baby. <laughs> oh no, it was funny. It was so funny. I, I don't think either Chris, my husband, or I were mortified. Oh, and how it came about, people will probably be wondering how that that even happened, but you were doing my husband, Chris, a favor at work at Microsoft because he took the, the baby in for some reason. We didn't have childcare or something like that. And he had to go to a meeting. And so you were watching 
the baby was like five or six months. He was old enough to f- five months. I mean, he was old enough to have eaten. Food. Yeah, I think maybe that's why I thought it because my okay, so my my son just turned twenty. So I think, and your daughter is five years older. Yes, so I was kind of like I don't know, maybe she had eaten solid food by his yeah. age or something. So I was like, oh yeah, he's eaten before. Yeah. It's fine. And something that's funny is I feel like back then we were constantly bringing our kids into work because I know like. Chris has spent a lot of time with my daughter as well. And it was just like, it it wasn't a thing. I feel like <laughs> no one I know does that today, but you'd always bring your son into work like yeah. every now and then. And we would just be like playing with the baby. And yeah. Well, now <laughs> people kind of miss take that. their dogs. Yeah, work. that's right. That's right. <laughs> and never their kids. <laughs> well, I do feel like this, ha- that it has something to do with, why he has my son has such a sweet tooth (laughs) it's my fault it's not your fault but but I do think it's pretty funny it's actually very difficult to to show any sort of causality there because his dad also has a sweet tooth so there you go there you go (laughs) but speaking of unintended consequences you didn't realize how I was gonna roll this into I love it. How, what the hell does this have to do with systems thinking? <laughs> so speaking of unintended outcomes, you have been thinking and speaking about um, intentional and unintentional outcomes of design for several years. In fact, the first episode that you that you had on UX Cake, it was outcomes for design and that awesome tarot deck that you created like of prompts for designers for design teams to have more intentional outcomes so that to avoid unintentional outcomes and I feel like this book the systems thinking is really kind of like the culmination of what you've been thinking about talking about speaking about for a long time yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of funny because I think it has to do with all my years in consulting and just seeing how different organizations, especially in the technology sector, kind of think about what they're producing at scale and seem to rarely have those conversations about what might go wrong with this because there is this kind of idea like oh yeah it's going to be completely beneficial and I think what we've kind of come to realize as a society is this is not necessarily the best way to make decisions about emerging technologies because we don't know what's going to happen and the methods that we use are really oriented around how people use products in the moment. And there's all these other like potential repercussions, as well as all of the types of users that you might ignore, or Mm. all the types of like, people that you might inadvertently harm through your product, even if they're not users. And Mm -hmm. yeah, um, the context that user is in, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I think those tarot cards of tech were born of that is just like, the conversations that my team and I wanted to be having with our clients and trying to create this thing that looks fun, but 
<laughs> actually asked some pretty serious questions. And I give credit to my colleagues, like at the time, Hannah Staten and Jeff Turkelson, who were like a big part of creating those tarot cards of tech. That you're right. Like that was sort of the beginnings of how I've started thinking about formally about systems thinking, which I had kind of been doing somewhat in my work. But I think that combination of thinking about how things work at scale and how we need to strategize better about it combined with some of the systems thinking methods that are out there really kind of helped me formulate what you now see in this book. Yeah. I I think it's 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 a wonderful way of approaching what a lot of people talk about, or I hear people talking about unintended outcomes, maybe in different language, but kind of marrying these two ideas, systems thinking with that feels new to me, but it feels like something that is really super valuable. I'd love to kind of back up a little bit and start out like you do in the book with talking about systems thinking <laughs> and, you know, just kind of briefly, maybe you could give a description for the audience about what do you mean when you're talking about systems thinking? Yeah. So one of the things that I kind of noticed, there's, first of all, there's all of these foundational texts in systems thinking. One of the key, I guess, text is Donella Meadows thinking in systems, which I I think because I talk a lot in this space, I come across designers who read that book. And essentially, one of the things you can kind of glean from, you know, formalized systems thinking thought leaders is that, and I kind of like boil it down to kind of thinking about three things. And when you're adjusting your mindset to think about systems, one is thinking about interconnectedness, like how things connect with each other beyond just whatever the thing is that you're designing. And that could be technologically, politically, socioculturally, economically, etc. The second sort of concept is causality. So just thinking about essentially how one thing leads to another. So oftentimes, like we're focused as designers on the output, like the thing that we're creating, and we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what's going to happen once it's released into the world and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. So it's kind of thinking about radiating effects basically. And then lastly, the last concept is wholeness. So basically thinking about the as much of the entirety of a system as you can. So going beyond just what does your organization care about, but what, you know, what exists kind of at the governance of, you know, this, of the technology sector, for example, what exists in terms of regulation, what exists in terms of like, even potential users who are outside of your purview. If we think, for example, of big social media systems, you know, you have people in Myanmar using Facebook, right? And it's just like, how do you actually kind of consider what is happening there, like in terms of that intersection of like things you're designing versus who is using it or who is being affected by it. So I think those three concepts are key. And then on top of that, I think in 
from my perspective, it really is about shifting your mindset into those spaces. So, and then within the book, I sort of present a bunch of tools that can help you execute on that. So whether it's frameworks that are oriented around causal loop diagrams or other types of diagrams that help you examine the status quo or, you know, frameworks that kind of help you think about how there are potentially multiple interventions to address a problem space rather than just like one directional thing that will fix everything. You know, you I have a theory of change frameworks, for example, to help address that. And then kind of like thinking about future visions. So I write a little bit as well about speculative design and just kind of like thinking about like design as provocation to kind of uncover what are the systems like beneath the things that we just see as designers or that we're de- we ourselves are designing. So I know that's kind of like a long-winded answer, but I think there <laughs> that's is- a good overview, I think. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of kind of the, the entirety of what someone will learn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also just like a response to what I've been feeling uncomfortable about for a long time when it comes to user-centered design. Mm, like yeah. The way I was hoping that it. we would be able to get into that. Yeah. Well, we can get <laughs> <Because> into that. <laughs> before we do though, I, I'd love to just kind of sum up because while you do go into a lot of detail in the book, you also have a lot of ways that you summarize things in a simple way. And so I'd love for if if any of what you just said sounded a rather complicated to someone who's new to systems thinking, <laughs> perhaps a good way of summarizing it, which I believe you did, is it's basically a holistic examination of the problem, of the entire problem to be solved. And so I think it's a good segue into talking about how and I love, this was also really a great takeaway from this book for me, how being user-centered, that even the language that we use is much too narrow of a focus. And it's kind of setting us up as professionals, as designers and researchers, I believe, for not being aware of the the complete outcome and not having the kind of impact we want to have. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with our methods really revolve around user advocacy primarily, right? It's like an empathy-driven approach, but it's really in many ways limited to an understanding of how people interact with the things we're designing, whether they're products or services, and the direct benefit of that use. So how does an individual use this particular product? You know, can they navigate it well? Does it feel like there isn't a lot of friction there? And what we're not necessarily focused on, I think a lot of this has to do with design thinking doesn't really have the tools for this, is kind of expanding beyond what happens when someone's not using our product or like what are certain contexts that our products are affecting that we're just not thinking about. And I think some good examples are, you know, we get this question a lot about what good design is. And 
I think it's, is good design like serving users needs. The way we've interpreted that a lot when it comes to user-centered design is like, are we serving a user's wants? So an example I use is infinite scroll, Mm, which, you know, you can argue that's pretty good design because it's like giving the user exactly what they want. You're going to fire up Instagram. You're going to stay on there for two hours. And, but ultimately (laughs) one part of you might want that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Instagram might want that. (laughs) And that's, that's exactly right. So who are actually, whose needs we're actually designing it for are Instagram's needs and not your user's needs. You know, your user has these wants, but that might not be good from a collective or societal standpoint. And in fact, I think in the book, I talk about how is a Raskin who was one of the, you know, designers of the infinite scroll was like this, actually, this is not good for humanity. And so I think what I think the problem is, we don't really have tools in our traditional sort of design thinking tool set to interrogate those things before we do them. And in fact, like a lot of this is oriented towards greasing the wheels towards, you know, what could be considered good design because it fulfills on a specific type of promise when it comes to direct benefit of use. So yeah, I I think it's just, I've sat very uncomfortably for a long time with the gaps in our practice around things like that. And yeah, felt, oh, I want to be kind of using tools that sort of expand my thinking beyond just like whether something's easy for somebody to use. Yeah. And So let's talk about design thinking versus systems thinking. So design thinking is a term, a practice that's actually kind of often set as an ideal for a lot of teams and, you know, evangelized quite a lot in organizations. And and it does make sense from a user-centered design perspective. If if what you're trying to create are user-centered products in how we traditionally think of these things, which as we'll get to has some gaps. So this design thinking framework puts an emphasis upfront on empathy and discovery uh, versus solution solutioning right away, right? So that's great. Problem solving, yeah. empathy right up front, and then moving into ideation and prototyping and testing. There's a lot of goodness in there. So what are the gaps that you are addressing with systems thinking versus design thinking? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, one thing that sort of propelled me to write this is that I think there is, yeah, there's some foundationally good things about the design thinking process. Like if you think about how you know, shitty products used to be like when, before people actually kind of tried to design them for the people who are using them. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm, it's going to show my age, but you know, like old VCRs and stuff like mm-hmm. that, like where you're just like, what is this remote control even trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, they were designed for, with functionality in mind and not really, yeah, no consideration of like form or ease of use or anything like that. And I think what the design thinking process does successfully is it prioritizes those who are kind of using products and keeps them at the center, you know, hence user-centered design. Also that is iterative. So like the idea that you can kind of like test prototypes and things like that and kind of continue to confirm 
hypotheses that you might have been developing. I think where it's missing is, or where there are gaps are essentially like how we think about stakeholders in that process. We're oftentimes just thinking about who we're designing the thing for and who we're basically, who's kind of, who's hiring us to do the design work. You know, whether you're like an in an internal organization designer or your consultant or whatever, you're, somebody is paying for you to be doing this work. So they're a clear stakeholder. And then you play the role of a user advocate. So you are the person who is fighting for what the user needs or wants or how to make this easier for them and how to design it better for them. I don't think we have a very expansive view of who other stakeholders are in the process. So like the way I think about systems thinking is like, how do you expand the universe to like who should be involved in the kinds of decisions that you're making? So I do a lot of work in education and I see quite often like ed tech organizations are really kind of thinking about just like maybe teachers who are using a product and then maybe the buyers of their product, which is, you know, an IT director in a school district or something like that. And sort of like failing to get a good look at who's making policy in this education system. What is like the regulatory environment? What are like the other things that your product is going to need to interact with what kinds of variety of environments also like what are student outcomes like in the space that you're trying to enter and so when I talk about engaging in systems thinking it's not just doing things like systems mapping it's also extending your stakeholders so communicating with other people who maybe fall beyond the purview of the thing that it it is that you're designing and I think that's really a critically important thing. So you can't just go off and do some systems map, like a big causal loop map by yourself. The idea is that you are integrating other people's knowledge and expertise into this process so that you can kind of understand how problems can be solved, maybe even beyond the specific product that you're working on. So that's, that's incredibly important. And I think it gets lost in the sauce a little bit when people talk about systems thinking, they think like systems thinking is like a designer or just anybody can go off and create a big causal loop map. And this will like tell you everything about a problem space. And I'm like, you really can't do that. Like, I think, I think of myself as I think about my trajectory as a designer, I think of myself as a facilitator now and not really like a producer of design. So it's like, how do I facilitate other people's expertise and kind of build alignment with different stakeholders rather than like producing something and putting it out in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important. Something that comes to mind as you're talking about education and there's obviously there's a lot of anything that's very complex, education, healthcare, yeah. government, but but I'm even thinking about like an e-commerce something is i don't know, quote unquote simple which is not yeah simple. it's not as simple e-commerce. at all <laughs> when where often i've seen things fall down in the customer support because they were not considered in building mm-hmm. the system the cataloging system for example or the return system that you know there's all these different parts and you have a when you have a, a failure in one of those parts it actually can have kind of an outsized impact. (laughs) 
depending on where it is in the system. And so, so I think that's just throwing it out there for folks who, who might be thinking they're not sure if they're not sure how they would apply a systems thinking framework to wherever it is they work. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point because I think, you know, I've worked on, yeah, not just e-commerce sites, but like kind of solutions that are oriented around commerce. And it's, it is actually just wild. It's just wildly connected, like all of these different aspects, you know, Amazon is always thinking about the last mile, for example, because that is just like ridiculously complicated, like trying to think about how people get their goods delivered. And I think this is where there's quite a bit of overlap for me in terms of like systems thinking and service design, because I do think like service design involves kind of like an or orchestration at the organizational level and like for a need for designers to understand like who are all the players involved in delivering a service. And I think, yeah, it's, it's not, I guess like, it's not for nothing that like systems thinking has traditionally really taken hold in organizational change management Mm -hmm. because organizations are complex systems in and of themselves. And so like, how do you kind of use these kinds of tools or this mindset to problem solve in a way that addresses things that are within your control? Like what are the structural things we can do and the things that are outside of your control? Like the way people like just behavior, right? Human behavior, Mm -hmm. whether at the collective level or at the individual level, like these are the kinds of things that you can think of as forces within systems thinking and, and kind of like understand their relationships to each other. Mm -hmm. You also, so you just brought up something that I think is probably, it's probably a good time to to talk about this because it's probably on somebody's mind who's listening <laughs> at this point because this is these are the questions i hear right i'm just a designer how am i going to implement something as large as a systems thinking mindset shift right and you actually do talk about that in your book so there's a i think there are a few things there for us to talk about one is you know, <laughs> agency, what kind of agency does a, does a designer or researcher, because I, I feel like a researcher is equally kind of can equally participate in this kind of a process. Even a writer, I think UX writer could probably utilize some of these processes, but, but a designer is actually fairly well situated for, because they have the tools of visual communication, a designer might actually be fairly well situated to begin to make some of these kind of process changes. And and you talk about it. So I'd love to get your thoughts on, on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just one. It's, it's a reason that I think systems thinking and designers go so potentially go so well together. And I was kind of like, why isn't there like I felt like I've been like hunting for a book that has to do with like how a designer can engage in systems thinking because I'm not going to flip my entire practice into just systems thinking right Right. like I'm not going to suddenly start creating 
uh, dynamic causal loop diagrams that adjust themselves when I insert an intervention or something like that. I'm like, sorry, I don't have time for that. I am like actually doing like other design work and other design research work. And yeah, I think there's that like superpower of like visual communication design that a lot of designers have that melds really well with the idea of systems mapping. So I think for any designer, like we're already doing some sort of analysis to kind of understand the status quo, whether that's kind of conducting research or working with a design researcher to kind of conduct research on end users and like trying to draw insight from that and be able to turn those into how might be statements. Yeah, basically kind of going through the design thinking process. You're already kind of doing some analysis. I feel like some of the analysis that I'm talking about in the book is just kind of like taking those phases that we're already engaging in and kind of expanding them. So Mm -hmm. bringing in more stakeholders, like maybe spending more energy on the problem space outside of the direct problem that you are trying to solve. And integrating that into kind of like your understanding of the status quo. And I think the reason this is just good practice in general is because it might, I see it as a source of innovation too, right? Like you can come up with creative problem solving that's outside of the purview of what you thought you were going to be working on. Mm -hmm. So you might be thinking like you're working on a personal financial management, you know, product or app or something. And you're just like, I'm thinking about how somebody makes transactions, but kind of like doing some of this work might actually surface other opportunities that are more broad than that. It's like, how do people communicate about their finance or something like that? I'm just making up an example that's probably just not very good now that I'm kind of like thinking about it. But I get the connection. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it just expands your thinking in more ways than one. So even if you are kind of like, you know, I get asked that question a lot. Like, I'm a lowly UX designer. Can I really kind of integrate some of this stuff? And I'm like, it might help you even think more creatively about Mm -hmm. the features you're working on. And if you do it in a way that it's not, oh, you're spending months doing some analysis, which you don't have to do. I've actually created a causal loop map in like less than three weeks, which is a little bit it's a lot, but it's just, I wouldn't recommend it, but it's like, you can do some analysis in a short amount of time. And you can also expand who you're involving in your project work. I always recommend like talking to academic researchers (laughs) who Mm. are experts in whatever problem space you're working in, because one, they're, they're happy to talk about their research. And two, they probably have a pretty good systems lens on whatever it is you're working on. Even something like e-commerce, if you're working on something like you know, a ride sharing app, like I've literally, you know, assigned white papers on the ride sharing ecosystem to my students when, you know, like I teach my class. And it's just, if you get, try to get in contact with some of these researchers, they're probably happy to talk to you about their work mm-hmm. and give you kind of like a systems lens on it. So that's another aspect of expanding your purview of who your stakeholders are. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the conversation that that Laura Barboza and I had in the two episodes ago, where this idea of taking whatever step you can to add more strategy to your tactical work. And this is, I think what I'm hearing is this is another way of doing it and maybe even more detailed explanation of how 
in your book. I think if someone were to read your book and not feel, go in with the idea that I don't have to change the entire system to make pieces of this work, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that I try to emphasize, whatever you're working on is not going to be like a silver bullet for any of the problem space that you might be trying to understand, especially if you're doing like problem space analysis at the systems level. This is going to require different forms of intervention or navigation. And I talk a little bit about a concept called multifinality, which is there are many different ways to kind of like tackle a a problem space. And there's never going to be like one thing that kind of solves for that. But there is kind of like alignment and knowledge sharing, right? So if you're working, for example, in civic design, you're going to be trying to understand, you know, the citizen point of view, but also the regulatory point of view or what have you. And I think these things combined just like lead to a shared understanding between yourself and your stakeholders. And it can, yeah, it can benefit in kind of like the unlikeliest of places. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of like folks that I talk to, they do work in like corporate, you know, corporate settings in private industry. And I don't think this is just for doing things in like civic design or what have you, right? I think this is something that you can apply in like basically any space you're working in, I can guarantee is probably more complex than you're Mm -hmm. giving your understanding it is, or like your boss understands it to be. (laughs) So (laughs) this kind of insight can benefit you on many levels, like no matter where you're working. Mm -hmm. And so, and it, I think when we're talking about something like the power of an individual, it is worth re-mentioning what you talked, what you talked about, which is, and I, I feel like you you mentioned it, and then we moved on. But the relationships that you develop in your organization yeah. across teams you may never have thought of developing relationships. If you, if the only people that you ever talk to are the people who are telling you what to do, and maybe some people in marketing, your product manager, some developers, (laughs) that's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, even if you're not using, let's say you're not using like systems thinking methods to kind of think about your product and your product space, you can still like use it just to kind of understand your organization. You know, I've done like systems thinking analyses, like with teams looking at things like okay, how do we think remote working is going to play out? And what are some of the mindsets, like if we think about the status quo, and this is like post-pandemic, what are some of the things that are in people's mindsets that we need to kind of like think about as the status quo and then do something? Like there's a there's a framework that I have in one of the chapters of envisioning the future that's called the futures wheel. And it's just like a super easy way to just think about what are the consequences both intended and unintended that could play out from a decision as that seems as basic as, okay, we're going to be going hundred percent remote at our company. Hmm. Like, what does that look like? So you can kind of think about how does this 
how to do these frameworks potentially kind of help with understanding even things like organizational change and yeah like one of my one of my friends was like watching me do this workshop where I was using the iceberg diagram where it's like there's something visible that's the event and then underneath that are like structures patterns and then mental models and she was like oh my gosh I could probably actually use this with my family to kind of understand (laughs) why we act a certain way or like (laughs) why we have certain conflicts or whatever and I was like I've never thought about doing that but it actually makes sense because there's always something that you can connect to root cause there's always something you can connect to a mental model that is underlying these other things that you're seeing and just having that understanding I think can be helpful to you like maybe personally as well as organizationally or within the course of what are you working on as a designer. Yeah, that's so funny that you mentioned that because I've been um, reading about family systems recently and and this this whole other concept called internal family systems, which is just mm-hmm. fascinating. But it it is all, it generates from systems thinking and the, exactly kind of what you're talking about here. It's a system is a system. Yeah. (laughs) And you can take that idea, that concept of a system and use these frameworks and and processes and into all sorts of unexpected areas. Yeah, totally. I think it was kind of funny because I've tried to reinforce that there's a lot of a lot of the book is like very practical and I'm like, Hey, here's how you can basically do some systems thinking stuff tomorrow. You can, you can do an iceberg diagram workshop. Like you can literally do that tomorrow in your job. But I do think like there is this like adoption of this kind of mindset that's oriented towards those concepts where everything's interconnected. There's causality that Mm -hmm. you can kind of see. Right. Um, You think more broadly about wholeness and it's like, you kind of see systems everywhere. So I have this like sort of sidebar, ongoing sidebar within the book that's called system spotting. And it's like, just the things that you see and what constitutes like an underlying system. So one of the examples is like, in any city in America, you'll see some neighborhoods that have like loads of trees. And then you'll see some neighborhoods that Mm, don't have mm -hmm, trees. And there is there's all this stuff. There's structural and economic, you know, discrimination that underlies that. There's the need for like, for like governmental surveillance. You know, this is specific to the example of why certain neighborhoods in LA don't have trees is so that there can be helicopter surveillance. Mm -hmm. And why certain neighborhoods do have lots of trees is because there is a lot more private resource to be able to like maintain the trees that were there and, you know, be able to like, privately hire for the care of the trees and things like that. And so it's like actually points me to just, it helps influence my thinking around how, what are the things that I need to do as a citizen? Like, how do I like behave in like the environments? How do I kind of like demand the change that I want to see? Because all of these things are connected and it's in with anything you look at it's, it's not so simple, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just, oh, they didn't plant trees in that neighborhood. There's some underlying structure. There's some that's just the tip of the iceberg. And there's all these things underlying that. And I think just gaining an understanding of that helps you see opportunity in different spaces too. Yeah. I think just it's, as you were talking, I remembered how systems thinking 
is a term that I would use for certain designers on a regular basis when I was hiring and when I was, or, you know, people that I recommend to others. It's a, it's a term that I use to describe people who are able to see kind of a big picture and think holistically, even when they are at a tactical or kind of a page level design, let's say they're still thinking about the system. I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to kind of put out there anything else that we didn't get to that you think is like kind of critical for, for anyone who is interested in systems thinking. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I just kind of want to reinforce is I don't think I am definitely not dogmatic about systems thinking. Mm -hmm. I do think like there is some intimidation out there in the field of, oh, whenever I've expressed curiosity about this, I feel like it's too complicated and people tell me I'm doing it wrong or what have you. Mm -hmm. And I think an aspect of wanting to write this book is to make it accessible to people who are in the design field and versed in, you know, the design practice is that you can basically adopting this mindset and finding ways to kind of like integrate through the work you're already doing is systems thinking. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I just wanted to kind of reinforce that because I think oftentimes people do feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm a, like a lowly UX designer. Like, how am I supposed to do this? And it's, well, you can take some of the tools that are in this book and start kind of like thinking about how you can kind of broaden beyond your your normal purview especially if you're uncomfortable about things like the decisions that your leadership is making or what mm-hmm. have you like these mm-hmm. things kind of come up and yeah there are different ways you could experiment with this even if it's kind of analyzing your family I guess <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done it personally but I'm like oh you know like I think I could <laughs> hold a little iceberg workshop with your family I don't know <laughs> there's something for everyone. (laughs) Yep, exactly. (laughs) Also, Rosenfeld Media is offering a discount for UX listeners who want to buy this fantastic book. I'm going to insert the link or discount code here in post. (laughs) Rosenfeld Media is offering UX Cake listeners a discount if you use the code kababa-cake. And that's C-A-B-A-B-A dash cake. And that's good for 15% off when you purchase directly from Rosenfeld Media website. And that link is on the show notes page and it is in the newsletter, which you can sign up. Anybody can sign up for the UX Cake newsletter at uxcake.co. And yeah, I think... I just want to thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining me and for putting this out there for the UX community, for the the entire design community, because this is way beyond just UX. Yeah, thanks so much. It was so nice to be back on the podcast. Hey, if you enjoyed this slice of UX cake, Please share this episode with a friend or a few. You can share it on social media even. It really helps us spread the word and get this free content to more people. You can follow UX Cake on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and get all the episodes and show notes at uxcake.co. 
Thank you so much for listening and for sharing the UX cake. <laughs>